and welcome back to another episode of Post Traumatic Thriving. This is an epic set of episodes and stay tuned, you'll see why. But I want to introduce our fantastic guest, Rhonda Britton. And Rhonda, I got to tell you right off the bat, I'm sure you've never heard this before, but your last name Britton is literally spelled and exactly the same as my daughter's name. So. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well, see, so I, I had a television show in, in the United Kingdom, so they'd always say, Britain has been bitten by Britain. <laughs> there you go. And no, I've actually never had anybody ever have my name oh. before or the spelling of it. So you, I'm in shock. I knew you'd be in shock. And speaking of shock, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna talk about your story, which is shocking. Um, but before we get into that, and I kind of, Tanya and I start uh, peppering you with lots of questions. You are an Emmy Award winning, uh, an Emmy Award winner, um, which my brother is too, but I can tell already you're much cooler than him. Um, and <laughs> you, you've been on Oprah he has never been on Oprah. You've well, been on multiple I'm, I'm times. A, and I'm cooler than him than right there, right? And, <laughs> and I did 600 episodes of television. So I've done 600 episodes of television and won an Emmy and been on Oprah a few times. So, so yeah. maybe I'm a little cooler. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you're a lot cooler. I, cool. <laughs> and, I, and I hope he watches this episode and he can hear it straight from me. You're a you're master cool coach. And humble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all kinds of stuff that we're going to get into in terms of your accomplishments. But- um, Tanya and I are anxious to, to talk about, cause you went through a really horrific trauma, which we're going to get to, but before we talk about trauma, cause on this, on this podcast, we talk about post-traumatic thriving and you're obviously thriving people. We now, you know, anybody who's to, to uh, knows you or, or is new to your story is going to know right now you're a thriver, but you had one of the most horrific traumas uh, imaginable. We'll get to that, but let's start off and let me just ask you an open question. And that is what was life like? Where were you living? What was life like? What were your parents like? What was your family like? before the day of the trauma? We lived in a little tiny town in Upper Michigan, 365 inches of snow a year, two restaurants. One was the fancy Douglas House Buffet Hotel and the other is Big Boy. Uh, we had one of the, you know, like um, at one time we had a root beer stand, you know, so there wasn't a lot of conveniences. There, it wasn't, you know, it was a little town. It's a little town. Uh, there's about 5,000 people in the town. Uh, the region itself probably had, you know, 10, 15, 20 when you, you know, drove for miles and checked everybody else out. Um, but, you know, we just lived in a little town and, um, you know, I sang in the choir. I sang at church. Um, I was the president of my church youth group. Uh, you know, I uh, won Soapbox Derby Queen when I was 13. Uh, you know, so I was an accomplished student. I was a straight A student and um, very active in school and, you know, um, hung out with my friends and ate fudgesicles. Wow. Did you, did you have siblings? <laughs> I do. I have two siblings, one older, one younger. Mm-hmm. Um, my, uh, older sister at the time before the, before the event, um, had just gotten married, uh, and had a baby and my younger sister, I was, uh, I was 14 at the time and she was 13. So, you know, my parents were in the middle of a divorce. My parents actually, it's a little convoluted, but since we have a little time here, uh, my parents actually got divorced when I was 10 years old. 
um, my father, uh, my mother caught my mother, father cheating on her. And um, she literally caught him red-handed. So my mother, we were living in Duluth, Minnesota. And my mother was like, I'm leaving your father. I was really happy about that, by the way. And uh, we moved back to her little town uh, in Upper Michigan. And that's where we were living. And my father uh, ended up following us there. And my mother's dad, my grandpa, uh, told my mother, nobody gets divorced in this town. Your husband wants you back and you need to try. So my mother took my father back. And that's really, you know, I would say, you know, I look back on my event, uh, back, back on my life. It's like that was a big, major issue, right? When she took him back, it actually, I think, set the wheels in motion. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so, um, so yeah, so I was, you know, my, my parents had divorced. Now they're back together. He's living in the house. I'm not happy about it. He doesn't like me very much. Never has. I was supposed to be the boy. I'm a girl. Um, but I would go and, you know, throw a football in the backyard or go play pool with him. And, you know, I didn't want to do any of those things, but I knew I had to do any of, I had to do all those things because I really did fulfill the boy role, uh, for my family, for my father, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you, I mean, a lot of kids, uh, the parent trap, you imagine kids want the parents to get back together. Yours wasn't going that direction. No, my mother came home. I rem- I'll, I'll never forget it. It was right before my 10th birthday. She comes in the door. Uh, we were living in Duluth and she just looks at me and she's like, <sighs> you know, I mean, you could just tell something's really wrong. And I was, um, you know, across the room from her, I was like in, like in the doorway of the kitchen. So not close, across the living room. And um, I remember she just was sat there and I, I mean, stood there and I was like, what mom, what, what? And then she was afraid to say it, right? She was like, I'm divorcing you. I'm leaving your father. I'm divorcing him. And I literally looked at her and said, consider that my 10th birthday present. Thank you very much. So I was super happy. You actually um, said that. Oh, I said it straight to her face. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I actually have a letter from my mother that she wrote her sister. Um, when I, I'm at, maybe I was 12, maybe I was 13 when she wrote this. I don't know. Uh, but um, my mother, so I never felt like my father liked me. Now he wasn't, uh, um, let's just say he didn't like me. My mom liked me and my dad didn't. And uh, so there was always challenges. And I, I just always, I knew he didn't like me and people, you know, they say, Oh no, your father loves you. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I actually don't think so. And I actually, when my, um, I got um, my, when my aunt died, her daughter uh, found a whole bunch of letters from my mother, uh, her only sister. And so she looked at me, she goes, I don't want to give these to you. And I go, I know what's in them. She goes, I don't want you to read it. I go, I know what's in it. I really need to read it. So she gave them to me and the letter, uh, one of the letters says, Ron, my dad hates Rhonda so much. I don't know what to do. Wow. So, I mean, so the, so a, a, a really good friend of my mother's uh, name said it this way. When he looked at my older sister, Cindy, she was kind of like the maid. She was like Cinderella, right? She would clean the house. She was, you know, she was on top of everything. And so my father like looked at her like, yeah, you got a job, you're cleaning, you're good, you're good, right? Um, he looked at my little sister, Linda, like the joy of his life. So me and my sisters have very different experiences because Linda, my younger sister, was worshipped by my father, like literally worshipped her. 
And then, um, so my, 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 my dad would look at my sister, my older sister with kind of, you know, just like whatever he'd look at Linda, like, Oh, and then he'd look at you. She said to me that like to my face, I didn't even ask this. She said to me, she goes, he'd look at you with disgust. Wow. And so, and I really do think, and again, I'm making this up. Obviously I don't know this, this to be true, but I really think that I was, you know, my mother actually, uh, was pregnant and had a boy before I was born. And the boy died at birth. Oh. Oh. And then, and then they got pregnant right away with me. And my father was a big baseball sports person. And so I think the level of his heartache and disappointment. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, they say, oh, I was supposed to be a boy. Like, no, I was really supposed to be a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I felt that my whole life. You know, mm-hmm. I felt that my whole life. And what's, I mean, right now, to speaking to you right now, you sound balanced and assertive were you as a little girl I mean every little girl I imagine wants to have a dad who adores them uh it sounds like that was a big deficit you know yeah it was a big deficit um no my father did not adore me my father didn't even I mean he my dad was you know one of those dads and I think you know I'm not the only person that had dad like this you know he just really wasn't involved involved you know um, my mother was really there. Um, my mother worked. She was a bank teller. My father was a computer programmer. I always say if my, if, if, you know, if only my father was still alive today, we'd be rich because he was the first, one of the first computer programmers in the world, you know, so um, darn it all dad. Why? You know? Um, so, uh, so yeah, he was a computer programmer. My mother worked as a bank teller um, later on when we were little, she was a stay at home mom. And then I think when I got, I think, I think when I was like in second grade or first grade, she started working. Um, and so, you know, they both worked, they, they, I think they tried to give us a middle-class lifestyle, you know, um, we lived in Duluth for a part of it. And when we lived in Duluth, I think that was the happiest time because we had like 50 kids on our block. So there would be like literally every house had three, five kids. So it was just, we just, you know, play kick the can all the time. And I would put on plays and, you know, I was always dancing and singing and trying to, you know. I always thought I I wanted to be an actress. So, yeah. So I think like, you know, I just stayed away from my dad and my dad kind of stayed away from me. I mean, um, you didn't know. I mean, so I don't know if my father, uh, you know, had alcohol issues or not. I mean, he definitely drank, uh, but, you know, he didn't, he didn't come home and wasn't sloppy drunk. Right. Like, so he just, went and watched TV and went to bed. Right. So, um, it was, you know, if I think about my father, I think like he probably had a alcohol problem. Probably. Um, he definitely didn't come home after work. He went to a bar or played pool or did something or, you know, um, so he wasn't just around that much in the sense of, you know, when he came home from work, he wasn't with us all evening. He, I mean, we never did anything as a family, you know, we never played games. We never, never did anything. Um, Well, Tanya, jump in with any questions, but one question I'm eager to ask before you do uh, is when you saw the other 30 kids on the block playing and their families, did you kind of wish you had a family that looked more like what was going on in the neighborhood or did that thought go through your head? um, You know, probably at times, but I think I also... You know, I come from, you know, I'm from upper Michigan, upper Minnesota. I'm from the Finnish background. I'm actually 100% Finnish. 
So how I grew up is nobody feels and nobody talks. Mm. Right. So there is no feeling or talking. I get it. Um, you know, so I was raised, um, I mean, I, I remember when I went to go and uh, find a publisher for my first book, one of the, uh, I can't remember if it was the Simon & Schuster editor asked me, I don't remember who it was, but um, they said, well, what was your favorite book going, growing up? And I said, well, now that you're asking me that, my favorite book was, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Wow. So I was, you know, when I was 12 and 10 and 11, I was reading books like that. You know, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Um, now, I think in school, you know, because I was popular and I was straight A's and I, you know, kind of was, I did everything, you know, that's where I got my love. That's where I got my affection. That's where I got my connection. You know, I was, you know, always got this, yeah, I always got the solos in the choir and, you know, so I, that's where I got my accolades, right? That's, that's where I got the connection. That's where people told me like, oh, you're so talented or, oh, you're so pretty or you're so smart or whatever they told me. Right. Um, But, you know, that didn't happen at home. And if it happened at home, um, my mother would always be like, like, don't you dare because you're going to make your sisters feel bad. So I was never allowed to like brag or be happy or be like, I did it, you know, because then my mother just be right. You just suck it up. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, kind of like survive. Right. You just do it. And so I don't know if I thought anybody else's family was different than mine. Sure. There was probably a few times when something like my, I think of my friend Lori growing up in, in elementary school or my friend Bobby's parents in elementary school. Um, me and Bobby were boyfriend and girlfriend from second to fifth grade. And um, we had a fake wedding in fourth grade and his parents came like, right. His, we had it, went in back his backyard and his parents came and, you know, all the neighborhood kids, but it was like, you know, they were, they went camping and, you know, they did stuff. They went on vacations and it's like, wow, you know? So, yeah, I mean that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, but it, you know, we didn't, we didn't have money. We didn't, you know, I remember that I remember one time um, my mother, I think when I was, I think after the divorce, actually, I think this is when she did it. She said, oh, you can pick your own bedspread. And it was like, pick my own bedspread. I mean, that, that I still remember the bedspread to this day because it was like, oh, I get to pick my own bedspread. You know, I mean, that's the level of like, yeah, my mother sewed all our clothes. Um, we lived in a little town. It had no stores. Like we, there, literally anything we bought was from the JCPenney's catalog. Um, so, you know, basic, humble, simple, beautiful, but a lot of projection from, from your dad, right. From, you know, what the love that he wasn't able to give to you because it wasn't given to him. There was, you know, it's projection onto you and that's trauma on every level, no matter how you are. Yeah. And you don't, and I haven't even gotten to, you know, so when I was, so my father, you never knew when he was going to blow up or get upset or something. Right. So when I was 12, uh, my parent, now he's living with us again up in upper Michigan. And I remember I was going down to the basement. He was coming out from the basement and um, he asked me a question. And I think I gave him like a snarky answer or just like looked at him like, you know, and um, he looked at me and I started running. I ran as fast as I could to get to my bedroom and I got on my back, put my hands and legs up because I knew he was going to come and attack me. And he did. He tried to choke me. He tried to kill me. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And so, but my sister, Linda, God bless her, 
we shared a room and she came running in after us. And she literally, I remember this so vividly. She's jumping up and down on her bed. Don't kill Rhonda, daddy. Don't kill Rhonda, daddy. And because my dad loved Linda so much, I really do think that she saved my life because my father just could not quit choking me. Um, wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, just that kind of stuff. I mean, my family members have told me, like my aunts and uncles have told me that he's hit me in the past. I, I think that I've just ignored all that. Um, yeah, he just didn't, didn't like me very much. I don't think you ignored it. I think like you're maybe I maybe I'm speaking for you and I, I apologize for that. But it's like everything in hindsight. Right. But when you're going through it, it's like you just like, stay out of his way. You just yeah, stay out of his way. Keep the peace. Just keep the peace. Yeah. Just and stay I, out of his way. My, I mean, you know, I thought about my mother like she's she's going, you know, like she's in hell. Right. So I'm not going to make her life hell. Right. Um, but don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, just like I said, I was able to be, you know, uh, vocal and connected to other people, but this is a, this is a kind of a, a good example. You know, when I was in college, um, I, in, in high school, I could not raise my hand and ask a question because being smart was so valued in my home. Like you had to be smart. You're better. You were smart. And if you're smart, you never ask a question. You go into these. We had encyclopedias and I would go and read encyclopedias. My father was very, very, very. My mother would always say, your father's a genius. Your father's a genius. Your father's a genius. Because remember, he's doing computers before there were really any, before there were computers, right? So, um, you know, so I, you know, my, I couldn't raise a hand. I couldn't, I couldn't ask for help because if you ask for help, you were stupid, so when I would have a problem in math, I would work it backwards. If I had a problem in anything, I would go and research it or do whatever. And again, there was no internet back then and right. figure it out because I couldn't ask a question. I couldn't ask a question to the teacher. No. This went yeah. on for till college. And I remember being in college and I remember I went to the University of Minnesota. So it was a very, it was the largest enrollment school in the, in the, at the time. And uh, so there's like a hundred and some thousand students. So classes were, you know, hundreds of people. And I'm from this little town. And so I remember being in this huge class and, you know, people were standing up and asking questions. And I remember sitting back there going, how are they doing that? Like, really, like, how are they doing that? How are they getting up and asking that question? And then I think the first time when they started asking questions, I probably was like, they're stupid. Right. And then they kept asking questions. And I was like, and I, and, and I still didn't do it in college. I still did not ask a question in college ever. Um, I, I was so mind, you just couldn't, you, you, no, you can't ask for help and you can't ask for questions. You have to suck it up and you have to suck it up. That's yeah. how I grew up. That's so, how you were raised. Yeah. Yeah. So with your, with your childhood, I can't help but ask, where were the grandparents and what, what was going on with your teachers and kids in the neighborhood? Did they think everything was fine with you or did they know something was kind of up and kind no, of- I think, I think everybody, you know, kind of kept to themselves, you know, I mean, we used to, I used to have, you know, uh, slumber parties in my garage and all the girls were there. I did um, a few years back. Um, one of my friends from junior high said to me, um, and I don't remember this, but she said, you know, Rhonda, you know, uh, before the tragedy, uh, you know, I was staying at your house because people come and sleep over. My girlfriend's just come sleep over. And she goes, you were talking about how your dad is, you know, like, and, and she, 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 she remembers she was really scared to be there. Oh, wow. 
And so I've been able to experience what my house was like through other people's eyes, right? After the fact, now, you know, whatever, 40 years later, right? I've been able to, you know, at high school reunions or seeing friends when I go back home and I ask them, now I ask everybody, you know, tell me about how I was, tell me about, you know, I ask everything. Um, You know, I started waitressing when I was 13, started babysitting when I was 10. So I always had a job. Uh, So. Oh. So rough childhood. I mean, and your mom was not really sticking up for you. It sounds like. I think my mom, what she did is she tried to make up for it. You know, so, so did my father get kicked out of the house after he tried to strangle me? No. Hmm. Um, Right. I think, but I think about that moment. Like I think about how my mother did, couldn't protect me in that way either. But I think that, um, I think she just tried to make up for it. I mean, I knew my mother loved me. And I would dare say I was almost her favorite because I think it was a, a counter to my father. <laughs> and what's astounding is that you're describing this childhood. We're not really even at the trauma yet. <laughs> no, this is the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the good stuff. But you know what? It's like it leads it leads. Right. It's like it's a journey. And the way we were raised, the way we were brought up, who we engaged with kind of like sets the trajectory of our life. You know, at, at a very young age, you were, you know, I need to be perfect. I'm a straight A student, etc. You know, and you, like I said earlier, like your, like your dad was a projection of what he was going through, and I, we're going to hear more about your about your experience here. In a yeah, couple. I just think, yeah, I just think my dad didn't know how to deal with feelings. He didn't. was not able to communicate. My mother didn't share her feelings. You know, like everybody was all stuffed up because that was how we grew up. Finnish Finnish people. I mean, even if you, even today, you know, remember 60 minutes in a big, you know, big series on Finland, big show on Finland. And it's like, nobody shares, nobody talks, nobody, you know, they're helpful. They'll be helpful. You know, like if your, your barn burns down, they'll come and help you. But you know, everybody keeps to themselves and doesn't get in your business. And you know, isn't, they're not curious. Like people aren't curious. Exactly. Even to this day, when I go home, like literally nobody asks me what I'm doing or how I am or like they just don't. Mm. So I think maybe it's a cultural thing as well as a generational thing, because my parents are, you know, my mom's German and my dad's American. But, you know, back in World War Two, it's kind of like, OK, we went through all this stuff. Right. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Try to, you know, cope with life. They were it, like that generation they were not taught coping skills. They were like, oh, they had to survive, you know, I mean, to survive. My, yeah, my, my, my mother was first generation born here. My grandparents um, were born, you know, uh, two of my grandparents were born in Finland, two were born in the States, but my mother was really the first generation born here. So, you know, my, uh, my, yeah, they lived through the depression um, my, my grandparents, because I know, Randy, you asked me a minute ago about my grandparents. My parents, my grandparents were not warm and fuzzy, as you probably gathered. Right. So, you know, there was no like going to my grandparents' house to get relief or support. Um, no, my grandmother would pull my hair to get my attention or she'd, you know, I mean, again, it, 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 it wasn't thought of as mean or bad at all. It was just. It just is. It's it just all you is. do. It was just oh. is. You it know, so when. 
I remember the first time somebody said to me, oh, you were abused. I'll never forget this. I think I was maybe 30, 30 years old, maybe, or 28 or something like that. And somebody said, oh, you were abused. And I looked at him like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I had a great childhood. I had 50 kids on my block. And he's looking at me like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, what? I was, what? I mean, it, it literally wasn't even in my vocabulary. Well, again, it was, I don't think it was in most people's vocabulary. It just wasn't even a concept for me to think that um, my life was hard or bad in any way. It's a perception. Yeah. It's just, this is my life. Yeah. Different. And, you know, this is my life and this is what I have to do. And this is what I have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like home life was rough. You knew it was rough. But you're. I used to get stomach stomach aches every day coming home from school. Yeah, I, like I did not want to go home. But your right? your joy uh, was at school and with your friends in the neighborhood and yep. your your girlfriends yep. and all that. Yep, yeah, my joy was church and school and um, anything but home. Yeah, I mean, you know, and if I was home, I'd just be reading my encyclopedias or, you know. Wow, that's your Britannica. <laughs> when my mother bought that set of encyclopedias, it was a big deal. I mean, if you can, you know, think about it, um, uh, that was expensive, expensive and that was a big deal. Luxury, she bought right. those. Yes. So I would yeah. sit there on the floor on my belly, just like going through the exactly. <laughs> Yes. Mm. Oh my goodness. Wow. But you know what? It's, it's really, um, it's not funny. It's not anything. It's, um, it's really, <sighs> amazing how everybody grows up in different demographics, different populations with different experiences. Yet it's like, wow, even, you know, I know everything that you're sharing with us is everything in hindsight, but it's just listening to this story. And I know your story, but you really have shared more of your story within like, I don't even know how long we've been on here that I never knew. Yeah. Yeah. You, you and, guys are making me break it up into parts. I've got you now. <laughs> but, you know, I also had a boyfriend all the time. Like I had a boyfriend when I was in kindergarten, you know? So I think what I did is I just sought love from other people, like love from my teachers, love from, you know, yeah, my teachers from church, uh, yeah. from my boyfriend, you know, I had a boyfriend in kindergarten. I have a boyfriend in first grade, you know, I had a boyfriend from second to fifth grade, um, you know, we still have each other's phone numbers, you know, oh. I thought I would marry him. And then when we moved back to Michigan, you know, I had a boyfriend, you know, so I always, my, my, my look, looking at was out. It wasn't, I just wanted to get away. Right. Okay. I just wanted to have a boyfriend. I just wanted to have friends. I wanted somebody to love me. I just needed somebody to love me. And, and so I got a lot of my affection and attention and approval externally. Yeah. 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 Well, and I, you know, I want to keep the focus on you, but I, sitting here, I can't help but notice the contrast because I, I, with Tanya and her family, they were right outside the window here at Monarch Beach <laughs> uh, with playing beach blanket bingo in their bikinis and having nothing but fun. Oh my and, God. Like how great would that have been? Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, mean, like, is- I mean, like literally when people tell me these things and I hear stories now as an adult of childhood, I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. You okay. actually like, I think you actually good. like rent places and you actually went to the beach and you actually did it as a family and yeah. you actually did yeah. a picnic. So where these offices, literally, if you go to 
you know, his right. Oh, um, I, I can see it. Yeah. It's the but, beach. But, but. <laughs> Yeah, so Rhonda, yeah, a big contrast. So Rhonda, anything else you want to, before we get to the trauma in the next episode, so stick around for the next episode, because you think that sounds rough. Uh, Wait for (laughs) the next episode. And just so you know, Randy, you have to remember, I didn't even think it was rough. Yeah. I thought, that's the thing. I was just like, do, 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 and not do, do, do in that sense of the word. But I just kept my head down and just worked hard and got my love elsewhere and I just thought this is what everybody did until I grew up and realized, oh, crap, I really am screwed up. <laughs> well, and you know what, and thank you so much for sharing that because, you know, it's so funny. It, I mean, it's not funny. I always say, hey, it's funny. But um, but we didn't know what domestic violence was. We didn't know. I mean, my God, my dad and my mom, they it was like we never heard my mom and dad bicker. We were we were the house that everybody like congregated at, like barbecues, parties, birthdays, all of that. Um, you know, but but when push came to shove, it's kind of like, wow, this is not the normal. It's really yeah. not. Um, no, I mean, people, it's not. People have come to me, up to me after I, you know, gave, gave a talk or something. They've come up to me and go, you know, I want to be a coach or I want to write a book. And they say, but nothing bad happened to me growing up. And I go, I go, sweetheart, I'm glad nothing bad happened to you. And exactly. you know what? I want you to write a book yeah. about how nothing happened to you. I want to, I want to hear the happy story. I want to hear what it was like to be in a healthy environment with parents who loved you and, and asked you questions. Cause again, my parents never asked me questions either. Like, so it's like, what was it like to have curious parents? What was it like to have people involved? Like, I, I want to know that. I, so I, you know, I always say to people, you know, you think that, oh, my life was so good that you have nothing to contribute. It's like, no, we need those role models. We do. We do. We need people to share their stories. Hence the reason why, you know, why we're here because Right. It's like a compare contrast and people need to hear this. You know, it's I mean, when Denise and I started doing our advocacy on domestic violence, it was like people were sharing their stories with us. I'm like, oh, my God, what's this domestic violence thing? We didn't know what it was. We never heard mom and dad bicker, yet alone fight. It's, you know, so when people came to us, it was like, oh, my God, it was a big eye opener. And, you know you know, without judgment, but you're in that population that really, you know, opened up, you know, opened up our eyes, our hearts to know that, wow, there are families out there who don't like have loving parents. Most families, most families don't. Because that's our normal, just the way you were raised. Yeah. That was your normal. Yeah. Yeah, So it's it's like, you know, different expectations, different needs, different, you know, different opportunities, different everything. But it's like, um, you know, I, I think that I know for me, um, and, and we'll get there later, but there's so much shame involved with it, right? Because somehow you're from that family, right? You're yeah. from that family. And then, like I said, I didn't even know that I was treated poorly until I was like in my late 20s when somebody kind of confronted me about it. And I was like, wow, okay, I think you're right. But uh, I've got to, it's blowing my mind right now um, to even think that my father strangling me was like, Okay, my father strangled me, you know, oh, my father, you know, like, didn't like me, gave me dirty looks, you know, refused to talk to me. I mean, like, those things are like, oh, that's bad. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that what happens in all families? Yeah. It's your normal. That was your normal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
as if as if it can't get worse, we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna, get, gonna get there. So this is uh, thank you so much, Rhonda, for for telling the story so far. Uh, Post traumatic thriving. This is where we come and tell the stories where we go from dive, survive, thrive through the process of trauma recovery. Uh, your story is epic. We're about to get to uh, the next chapter, mm-hmm. Post Traumatic Thriving, where we either dive, survive, or thrive. The choice is yours. Okay. Is yours. See, see you on the next episode. Thanks for supporting our podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and follow us on your favorite social media. For books, merchandise, or to donate, visit coreiq.com. Post Traumatic Thriving is produced by Core IQ, a nonprofit with a mission to teach the life skills we all need but are not taught in school. Core IQ and the Post Traumatic Thriving podcast are for informational purposes only and do not provide medical or mental health advice. Always consult with your licensed medical and mental health care providers.